Hey there, welcome to a special edition New River Church podcast. These recordings were done at our most recent Holy Spirit weekend in which Lydia O'Leary taught us about freedom. I think you're going to really be blessed by this. If you're looking for some more information about New River Church, you could just check us out at newriverchurch.org. Good morning, everybody. Thank you. It is a threat. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So I love being able to sing that song, I'm No Longer a Slave to Fear, because it's true. And I'm going to give you, can, I can't tell, is this picking me up? Is that in the right spot? Okay. So I'm just going to leave it from now on. All right. So I can tell you the exact moment when I was no longer a slave to fear. So for, for 38 years, I would sing songs like that. And I would sing them as declaration and like, yeah, I'm not a slave to fear. But really, if I went on an airplane and there was turbulence, <laughs> I would get that boof in my stomach. Right? I don't know if you guys do. I would get a pit in my stomach. And yeah, I'd be there like praying and I'd be commanding angels to hold the wings and, you know, the whole bit or whatever. Uh, but that thing would still be there. It was almost like that was uncontrollable. I just had to like breathe and pray and whatever. Well, I'll tell you, once I started learning about freedom and that things that I had put up with were not actually me and didn't have to stay anymore, I was in Maryland. Uh, driving to an airport <laughs> to fly back home from my sister's house. And I was realizing, oh, no, I'm going to be on Spirit Airlines. And, <laughs> and last time I had been on Spirit Airlines, it had been super turbulent. And so I was like, oh, because my stomach that whole last time I had been on it had just been in a knot. Even though I was okay mentally and emotionally, I was together, my stomach, you know, it was doing that thing. And so I, I, on the drive there, I just quickly, I started breaking off agreement with fear. I was like, no, 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 not this plane ride, no. And so I went through and I broke off agreement with fear, and then I, I, I came into agreement with what God says, and, and, and then I said, fear, you don't have me anymore. In Jesus' name, by his authority, by the power of the Holy Spirit inside of me, I command you right now, get up and get off me. Get off my mind, get off my emotions, get off my body. I send you to Jesus' feet for judgment. Have fun there. Don't ever come back to me again. All right? And that was that. I went on that plane, and I'll tell you there was turbulence, but nothing happened in my stomach. And I was like, oh, this is so real. This is unbelievable. Well, then, months and months later, I'm, I'm with my family. We decide to do a family adventure, and we go to this ropes course. And I've always had this, you know, somewhat fear of heights that I thought was normal, right? And so we were up on this ropes course, and I'm, like, up 30 feet in the air, just, like, walking on ropes like this, all of a sudden realizing I don't have anything happening anymore, Literally, not just in the airplane, but up on a ropes course or, or anywhere that fear would have just welled up in me trying to generate a response, trying to get me to agree with it and agree with a lie that I'm not safe, that I'm not, my life is not destined by the Father, all of that. It doesn't happen anymore. It has literally not happened since then. And that's been several years. So I want you guys, you're going to start to develop moments where you can say, I literally am no longer a slave to fear, and I can tell you the moment when I stopped being one, when I kicked it out. 
because it's not allowed to own me anymore and I'm not putting up with crap anymore. Because if God wants me to go to, to the mountains of Nepal to preach the gospel and I got to walk across those rickety ropes that are high thousands of feet in the air, I need to be able to do it and fear should have no voice in me. Right? I mean, that's, that's what freedom looks like. And yet we've, we've settled for things that we think are just normal, natural, and they're earthly. We are not earthly anymore. We're heavenly. And there's a difference here. And I, and I knew that as a believer, but I didn't know it in my reality, and I didn't know what to do about it. You know, so it was just this acceptance of how things were because... It was how things were, <laughs> right? My job as a believer before was just to pray, 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 pray. Now I go, nope, if there's something that's not like God there, it's got to go because it's not me. Amen. It's very simple, very simple. And I'm drastically different now because of it. It's a wonderful thing. So there's a couple things. Last night I, uh, I had, didn't get to cover everything that I wanted to cover, um, and there's just one really important thing. Um, I don't know if you have the handout from last night. If you do, you can bring it out. But one of the biggest hurdles for me, surprisingly enough, in all of this was the question, and, and maybe you guys all are settled on this, but was the question of can a Christian, how can a Christian who has the Holy Spirit inside of them have something demonic in them as well? Right? That was my question. And, and I was adamant. I was adamant my whole life that impossible. There's no way. I belong to Jesus. There's no way. And it, it was coming from this place of defending the power of God in my life. You know, he's bigger. He's bigger. All of these things. And, and I was feeling like I was defending the strength of who he was in my life by that statement. There's no way if he's in me that anything else could be there. Well, during that year from hell, where I just like, God had just changed everything before me, I was seeing people, including myself, having demonic things come out. And I had to reconcile that. I had to figure out what was going on, or not figure out, I had to ask the Lord, Lord, tell me, what am I seeing? Because I don't, believe this. <laughs> you know, this doesn't fit my theological box, God. And so in this laying of the shadow, you remember we talked about the shadow, the fullness and the restoration last night, and how it's not these separate things, it's a building that God's been doing, giving us a picture, and we know it, because how many sermons do we have that point to, like, the exodus or the wilderness? It's a shadow, and then it builds, and then we come to the restoration of all things. Um, well, as God was building that and showing me that, one of the things that he showed me, and we mentioned it last night, was the temple, right? So the temple in, in the shadow was a physical building. It was made of the holy of holies, the holy place in the outer courts. What's the temple in the fullness? We are the temple now, right? All right? Now, in the shadow... 
The presence of God was in the Holy of Holies. I mean, he was there so much so that if, uh, if one of the high priests came in to offer the sacrifices and he was unclean, if he hadn't done the ritual puri- purification rites, he would die on the spot. If anything, if it, when, when the people tried to pick up the Ark of the Covenant when it was falling off the oxen, they died trying to do, I mean, it was the presence of God was there in all of his holiness, all of his righteousness in the Holy of Holies. Well, in Ezekiel chapter 8, God brings Ezekiel in a vision and he says, Ezekiel, I want to show you what's happening in my temple. And there was God in the Holy of Holies. But in the holy place and in the outer courts, there were all these like slithering creatures on the walls. And the priests were practicing abominable things. And God was saying, I am not happy with what's happening in my temple. The priests are not obeying me. They're not following. They're worshiping other gods. And yet here was God's presence in the Holy of Holies. And it wasn't wiping out what was happening in the holy place or the outer courts. The holy place in the outer courts was the, the role of the priest to keep it clean. They weren't doing it. So when we come into the fullness, and we too now, we are now the temple, and there is the holy of holies within us, the spirit of the living God, which is holy and, and, and righteous and true, there's also the holy place, which is our soul, our mind, our will, our emotions, and then there's the outer courts, which is our body. We too are made that same exact way, and we know it's spirit, soul, body. It's the same thing. And the role of the priest in the temple, which is what we are, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You know, Paul says, do not, do not join yourself together with a prostitute. Don't you know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit and, and you, you are becoming one with something when you do that, right? And so there's this, we see this possibility here that as the priesthood, we can join the temple of the living God with things that it is not supposed to be joined with. Things that God says, do not do that. And yet we still could. And so if, if the temple in the shadow could have spiritual things and the presence of God there, well, it makes sense to me that in the fullness, the temple of God can have the fullness of the presence of God there and also in the outer courts, unclean things if the priests are not doing their job and removing everything that shouldn't be there. That's our role, to have it be honorable to the Lord everything that goes on. We just, half the time, we just don't know what we're doing, you know? <laughs> they just throw some worship music on, right? That's what we do. But it's our role to do this. And so that was something that the Lord showed me that was super powerful for me to see. I wanted to share that with you. And then there was this other, this other story that I always thought, man, Jesus, I think you're amazing. But in this one instance, you were so super rude. Anybody know which instance I'm talking about? When he called a lady a dog, right? So this woman comes to him, and she's not Hebrew. She's not Jewish. She's Greek. And she comes, and she says, Master, my my daughter has a demon. 
And can you set her free? And Jesus' response to her was, I cannot give the children's bread to the dogs. I always read that one. I was like, dude, that's a little rough, Jesus. <laughs> you know? Well, Jesus knew the time that he was in at that point. Jesus had also said, I've come only for the lost sheep of Israel. Did Jesus only come for Israel? No, but what's Israel a shadow of? Israel is a shadow of the church, the people of God. Right? All tribes, tongues, nations, they didn't realize it in the shadow. They thought it was just for them. It was a little bit of a shocker when Paul got the revelation to go, no, it's for everybody, you know. There's a bigger family here going on. But so when they're talking about Israel, Jesus is actually talking about the family of God. That's who he came for. And so when he says, it's not right for me to give the children's bread, and he's talking about deliverance here, the deliverance is for the children of God. It's ours. It's part of our inheritance. It's not for those who don't know God. And yet somehow, I believe it's one of the enemy's little trickery things, has got the church to believe that Deliverance is for those, you know, people who are out practicing witchcraft. And if we happen to encounter them, then we need to know how to cast a demon out of them. No, deliverance, Jesus says, is the children's bread. It's our sustenance. It's, it's for us. So we can walk in freedom, freedom from the harassment of our enemies. That's what salvation means. And so he says, it's not right to give the children's bread to the dogs. And then she says, but even, even the dogs will eat the crumbs from the master's table. And I just see Jesus' heart like, you are amazing. Your faith, your faith. And he knew, right? He knew that he was making a point for the time that he was in. But it's a much bigger picture. Yes, your daughter's going to be set free right now. And that was cast out. But the distinctions to be made is what Jesus actually called deliverance. He called it the children's bread. That speaks something to me. Why would I need that? What is that? Well, it's so that I can actually walk in full freedom. And the change that happened in my mind was that I used to think that I was defending the power of God in my life by saying, you know, no, there can't possibly be anything there. Uh, but the, the, the flip side of that coin is that I'm saying, so I must not fully be redeemed because something's clearly still wrong, <laughs> right? Because there's still sin going on. I still am experiencing stuff. And so if it's not something from the enemy, if it's not demonic, then it must be me, which means that the power of his cross didn't actually work fully. That's the flip side of that coin, because there is still a problem happening. It's just what are we saying that problem is? Right? And so the answer to that problem for me before was, well, something's wrong with me. And that means that the cross wasn't powerful enough to save me. This in, in what God brought, has brought me into is to go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, his salvation is so massive, number one, that nothing is even allowed to enter here. I used to think things could just drop on me. Like, that, that, that could just happen. 
but that his salvation is so powerful and so strong that once things are removed, they're gone. And they can't just come and land on me. Things aren't allowed to just come and pummel me whenever they feel like it. That doesn't happen. The salvation is way, way greater to say, no, he's, he's paid for it all. I'm fully redeemed. And now I've told the enemy, get off my land. It's my promised land, not yours. Get out, right? And here I am now walking in the fullness of a salvation where I'm not struggling with something day in and day out. It's much better. It's much greater, and it's a greater testament to the, the power of the cross in my life, that he actually made a way for this to happen, and that it's complete. I 100% believe that what Jesus did on the cross is stronger than what Adam did in the garden. And yet most of the church identifies with Adam more than Jesus. It, it's just the way that we live. Like, well, it's just my sin nature. No, that was Adam. You are in Christ now. You are not in Adam anymore. There's a change. It doesn't deny that there's still a problem. Well, what is the problem? The problem is not you. The problem is that there is an enemy looking to lie, steal, kill, and destroy. That is the problem. And we cannot be blind to it anymore. We cannot sit around and let words just flood through our mind of how we will never be good, good enough. God will never be pleased. He's just withholding. He doesn't love you. You just got to try harder. He's not here. You know, just this stuff. Those aren't your thoughts. Those are something invading there because you've agreed with them. And it's your role as the priest to get rid of it. Clean out the temple. All right? That's what we're going to be teaching this weekend. Clean out the temple. So I wanted to bring that up to clarify that question because that was a very big question for me. And I know it has been for a lot of believers, but I hope that might bring a little bit of insight to you to where the Lord brought me in it and help you understand that the salvation that he bought is actually greater than what I know for myself, what I had settled to believe and felt like I had to defend to be greater when it really wasn't. All right, everybody good? Okay, good. We're going to start into this morning session, the story of the Bible. So we talked about, like I said, the shadow, the fullness, and the restoration of all things. Well, this shadow period, it goes from Abraham to Jesus. And it is the story of redemption, all right? It's the story of redemption. And so this is what I picture. We know that Christ was slain before the foundations of the world, right? That God knew. He had a story in mind that was going to be happening with humanity. He knew he was going to send his son. He knew that there was going to be this plan of redemption. And so what he did is he gave us the blueprint for it. We call it the shadow, we call it the story, call it whatever you want, but that's what it is. It's a picture. If you can see this nice little, this nice little picture I, I made online um, where God's you know, casting people to play different roles and he, he's telling his angel, Michael, no, I'm not casting Arnold Schwarzenegger as you. I, I don't care how strong you are. He's not playing you. Well, 
This is how we're going to look at the shadow period, as a story that God wrote, so that when the fullness came, the, the disciples would be able to go back and look and see what they were actually living in. So when was God's purpose established? Those passages tell us it was established before the foundations of the earth. And that he's faithful to complete the purposes and the plans that he has. So we know it was from before the beginning, right? He had a plan. Well, the shadow story was planned in advance as well. And I want you to see this. Genesis 15, 14 to 16. This is before Abraham's name was even changed to Abraham yet. He was still Abram. There was, it was the very, very, very beginning. The Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nations that they serve and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. And as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So before anything even happens, God's saying to Abraham, guess what? <laughs> like, why is he saying this? Right? Why, why is he telling him in advance? Well, because there was a plan. Because he already had a plan in place. And this was going to be the shadow of that plan. All right? Abraham, this is going to happen, but know that at the end of those 400 years, I'm going to pull them out of slavery. I'm going to redeem them. They're going to come into their own land, all of this good stuff. But this is the progression. This is what I'm going to do with your life and with your family because it's going to mirror something. All right? So the plan was there at the beginning, even for the shadow story. It wasn't something that just unfolded in Abraham's lifetime. Now, I'm going to tell you the story, and, and you can line up who plays who in the story of redemption. So we have Father God. Who do you think is the shadow picture plays the Father Abraham, Father Abraham, the father of many nations, right? Now, does anybody know any similarities between Father God and Father Abraham? Has innumerable children, yes. Was a, had an only promised son, a promised son, that he was going to have to give up his only son, Right? I'll tell you, Abraham or Abram means exalted father, right? And so I want you to picture God the Father within the Trinity. He was an exalted father even then before humanity was ever made. And then God called Abraham out and he changed his name to Abraham, which means exalted father of many. And that's a picture of God coming out from just being within relationship within the Trinity as an exalted father to deciding to become the exalted father of many in creating humanity to be his children. That's what he's done. So he, he puts the Abraham as the shadow of him. Well, Abraham has two sons, actually, right? Who was the first son? Ishmael. Well, before Jesus, God had a first son. Who was it? Adam, the son of slavery. 
Ishmael is a picture of Adam. And Paul actually writes about it in Galatians. So then we have the promised son, Isaac. Who does Isaac play? <laughs> Isaac plays Jesus. What are some of the similarities between Isaac and Jesus? Willingly having to sacrifice. What else? They both had to carry the wood of their sacrifice up the mountain. Both had a miraculous birth. Both were children of promise. Prophesied that they would come. Right? Both on the same mountain. Both sacrifices on the same mountain. All right? So Isaac is a shadow of Jesus. And we talked about that last night when we talked about Passover being the shadow of communion and Jesus taking that bread, that, that matzah that represents Isaac and saying, this is me now, my body, I'm the one. So then we, Isaac, Isaac has two sons. Who are Isaac's sons? Yeah, Jacob and Esau. Who's the older one? Who is Esau the shadow of? Actually, let's start with Jacob. We'll do Jacob first. That's a little easier. Who is, so Jacob, we know Jacob, his name gets changed to what? Israel. Israel. So we've already said this one this morning, if you've been listening. Who is Israel a shadow of? The church. All right? The family of God. First to deceive. So then there was a firstborn son who loses his birthright who does Esau, who is Esau a shadow of? Ishmael is a shadow of the Jews. I mean, Esau is a shadow of the Jews. Those who were given, they were firstborn family of God. They had the inheritance. They had the promises. And they handed their birthright over. To those who had been deceivers but then were redeemed and became the family of God. And if you follow the story of that, the beautiful thing is at the end of that, there's a reckoning and a coming back together of Esau and Jacob, which scripture tells us will be what happens. It's a beautiful picture. But so we see these, shadow, these shadows happening, all right? And then J Jacob has 12 sons. Who are the 12 sons a shadow of? The disciples, the, those who started the family of God. Those who started the family of God. Right? God was creating a storyline and then walking it out perfectly in the fullness so that they would know what was going on. So, so let's see. We, we want to look at, all right, well, before they were ever slaves... At the very beginning, when God spoke to Abraham, before the Israelites were in Egypt, what were the promises that were given to Abraham for his family? I've written them for you, so don't worry. And I've given you some passages. There's a lot more, but this encompasses them, so I only gave you the two here. Um, 
But the promises were that they were given righteousness, right? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. The promised land as an everlasting possession. How can that be? He would be the father of many nations, this family of faith that would expand across the nations. He would have an everlasting covenant with God. They would be exceedingly fruitful. Kings would come from him, and his descendants would possess the gates of their enemies. Those are great promises, right? These are the promises given to Abraham. And you guys can see them just in those passages right there. There, if you go and read the Genesis account from 15 all the way up through 22, 23, you'll see them said over and over and over and over and over again. They're very much there. And the New Testament refers to the promises of Abraham in Romans, in Hebrews, in Galatians. Abraham held the promises. Abraham held the promises. Abraham held the promises. It says it over and over and over again. These are the promises. I want you to notice the promises were given before slavery because if we're looking at a shadow of what we're walking in now, it's important to know the timeline. The shadows were given before they were ever slaves, all right? So those are the promises. So then what happens? Well, I'm going to run through this and you're going to have to fill it out as fast as you can while I talk, okay? So the story unfolds here. They, exactly what God says would happen would happen. 400 years in slavery. Does anybody know what those 400 years is a shadow of? The 400 years of silence. The 400 years of silence before Jesus came. All right? Do we all know that? There was 400 years of silence before Jesus came on the scene. 400 and 400. I don't think it's accidental. All right, so at the very start, 400 years of slavery, 400 years of silence. Then we have the Passover lamb, right? They've been in Egypt for 400 years now, and the lamb of God that was slain, the blood put on the doorpost of the home, who was that lamb? Who is that a shadow of? Jesus, all right? We know that one. We hear that one all the time. The blood put on the wooden beams of the home. Why on the wooden beams of the home? What is that a shadow of? The blood on the wooden beams of the cross. You know what they used? They used a hyssop branch. They were instructed to use a hyssop branch to put the blood on the beams. Do you know what happened at the cross? They, they gave him up the wine using a hyssop branch up to Jesus up on the cross, the vinegar. All right? There's a, there's a story being told to let us know what is actually happening in the fullness. So then, exactly what God told Abraham would happen, they would leave Israel, Egypt with great possessions. But before they could do that, they had to cross something. What did they have to cross? They had to cross the Red Sea. What does crossing the Red Sea, what is that a shadow of? Baptism. <laughs> well, essentially baptism, dying with Christ, rising with Christ. It is baptism that brings you out of slavery. You are no longer a slave to sin, but it's water baptism, right? John preached a baptism of uh, the re repentance for the remission of sin, right? His was about 
sin, about not being a slave anymore. So we've got this crossing of the Red Sea. It's baptism. It's coming out of slavery. You're not a slave anymore. We know that they were in the wilderness for 40 years. That was not what God wanted, right? God was unhappy about that. <clears throat> in fact, he, 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 we know he was not happy about that. That was not part of what he wanted. He wanted them to get to the, to the um, Jordan River and to cross right in. But that's, they didn't. But we're going to just follow that timeline. So they, they cross. Oh, they also have the law given to them in the wilderness. Where's the law now? Written on our hearts and minds. When we come out of slavery, when we get set free by the blood of the Lamb, the law of God gets given, written on our hearts and on our minds. All right? <clears throat> but then we come to another baptism, another crossing. Does anyone know what the second crossing is? The baptism of the Holy Spirit. And what, is that what does that second baptism bring you into? The promised land. Right? You can be baptized, you can be saved, you can have the law of God written on your heart and your mind and not ever come into your promised land. Did you know that? A lot of people do, and it's not what God wants. But the story is there to show that that can happen. And in fact, there's so much warning. Do not do what they did. Do not do what they did. Do not do what they did. Do not, by disobedience and unbelief, miss your promised land. Don't do it. All right? <clears throat> so we have the second baptism where, where uh, well, the scripture says, you know, John baptized, John says, I baptize you with water, but there's someone who will come after me whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. That's really what this second baptism is. And then they come into their promised land. Well, they're coming in there to take this land that has been promised to them from the beginning, before they were ever slaves. They're hanging on to promises that were right from the beginning. They come in, and before they even take a city, this remarkable thing happens. Joshua has an encounter with somebody. Does anybody know who he has an encounter with? Ah, the, the commander of the Lord's army, right? says, take your shoes off, Joshua. This is holy ground. Joshua says, are you for us or for our enemies? He says, neither. I'm for the Lord. Uh, I'm his. I'm his, right? And he says, we're going we're gonna to do this together. Well, there's this, we see as they come into this promised land, there is this joining of heaven and earth to battle together, right? Well, we come into the fullness Lamb of God has been slain, the blood, Jesus has now ascended into heaven, and he's told the disciples to go into the city and to wait for something. What are they to wait for? For the Holy Spirit. They are to wait to be joined with heaven before they go out. Now, these are people that had been trained. They had been trained by Jesus. He could have said, go out and just start doing what I taught you to do. But that's not what he said. He said, go out and wait for the promised Holy Spirit because it's got to be you and heaven together. It's got to be this way. Well, we see that happen in the shadow. 
the commander of the army of the living God and Joshua, they're about to go into battle together. That had to happen first. So then we get to Jericho. And we all know the story. They're marching around the walls seven times, seven days, right? The walls come crumbling down, and they're just blowing trumpets. There's really not much they have to do. Who do you think actually knocked those walls down? It was probably the commander of the army of the living God. Yeah, that's my guess. The angels of God just tearing it so that not one stone was left on another, right? So then we come to the fullness again, and... Heaven and, and earth, the power of God has been joined to his children here. And they start speaking in all these, these many languages. And how many people get saved in a day? Thousands. Thousands. Easiest battle ever. Right? This is what we're seeing. This is the Jericho moment. And they don't even have to do anything except like blow a trumpet. Right? And everything happens. Pentecost, the Spirit of God comes down, they're speaking in different languages, and thousands get saved. It's miraculous. So then we have, in the shadow, we see something that's a little sobering. God said, when you take Jericho, I don't want you to take anything from it. It's mine. Leave it all. We know the story. There was a man and his family who didn't listen. They disobeyed, and they took Achan, right? took some stuff and hid it. And so Israel then went to their next battle with Ai, and they lost. And, uh, you know, Joshua cries out to the Lord, God, why did you bring us here? I thought we were here to, like, take the land. Why is this happening? And, and, and God says, Joshua, get up. There's sin in your camp. That's what happened. This isn't me. I'm not doing this to you. Somebody has disobeyed. Somebody's done something. And so they find out who it is. It turns out that it's Achan and it's his family, and Achan and his family die because of it. Well, then we come into the fullness. The Spirit of God has come. Pentecost has happened. Thousands are saved. People are giving all that they have so that nobody has a need. And this one man and his wife, they decide that they're going to try and deceive they, they don't have to. Nobody's making them give their stuff, and yet they decide that they're going to try and lie and pretend to be a better Christian than they actually are, right? That's really what they're doing. We want to look like something. We're going to sell something, and we're going to say this is all of the money when it's only part of the money. They could have just said it was part of the money. They could have given no money at all, but they wanted to look like they were giving it all. How many times have I stood in a worship service, even just like this, wanting to look like I'm giving it all? Man, guys. We do this. We do this. And it allows sin in the camp. Well, they get found out. I mean, Peter immediately knows. Why are you lying to the Holy Spirit? And they die. This is something that, that God wove into the shadow story so that it would be seen for what it is in the fullness. It was not accidental, these things lining up. Well, then we know what happens. Joshua, the army of God, they go and they take the land. And, that, you know, there's times where they mess up. There's times where they make agreements that they shouldn't. 
Uh, but overall, they go and they take the land. It, it's presumed to be about seven years that it takes them to get the whole land. But guess what? They get it all. They get it all. And so I want you to see, I'm not just making that up. Joshua, take a look at those scriptures right there. I, I, I bolded the words for you to see. <laughs> Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. The Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All had come to pass. It is the Lord your God who fought for you. I'm just reading the bold parts. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. Again, down at the bottom, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God has promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. Now, why is this important? It's important because if it happened in the shadow that they got every promise in their lifetime, what does that mean for us in the fullness that we should have all of our promises. And we know this, right? I mean, I was, I was one of those people who would say, you know, all God's promises are a yes and amen, or standing on the promises of God, you know, like singing those songs. And, and yet if you would ask me what the promises were, I would not have been able to tell you. I, I would have probably been like, oh, uh, salvation, eternal life. No, there's actual, like, specific promises given, and that's what we're going to see. These were promises uh, that Abraham's promises were a shadow of our promises now. All right? So what are the... What I, all right, so Galatians chapter 3, verses 7 to 29. Paul's writing and letting them know that the promises that were given to Abraham are our promises. I'm just going to read the bolded parts so we can jump right through it, okay? Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterward does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. They're saying the promises still stand. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. So that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. 
The promise is, I had looked in the New Testament and I didn't see anywhere God saying like, this is your promise, this is your promise. Well, that's because they were given in the shadow. The promises were given in the shadow and then they reach a new place in the fullness and we'll see them all throughout the New Testament when Paul's writing about these promises, but he's, he's not saying, and God promises you this, and God promises... It was already known that God had given these promises. They were given to Abraham. They come to us in Christ, but we are getting them now in the fullness. It is not a, it is not a, um, a physical promised land that we're getting. Our inheritance is not the land of Canaan. That was a shadow of the promised land now. Do you guys get what I'm saying? That Abraham's promises were a shadow. The family of faith... He was having a physical lineage that would come, but that was a shadow of the larger family of faith that we would be a part of now. Not everybody physically born by Abraham, but those born of God, right? So these are the promises that come to us now. And so if you turn the page, remember Abraham's promises? I put them right at the top of the page. That the promised land has an everlasting possession. He would be the father of many nations, have an everlasting covenant with God, exceedingly fruitful. Kings would come from him, and descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. Well, these are our promises in the fullness. And I've got them listed in that neat, handy box for you with all the verses there, okay? So you can do it. You can go read your Bible when you get home, all right? Check it out. It's really there. I'm sure you can look at these and go, no, I know that we've got that. I just didn't know that that was a fullness of a shadow promise, right? I mean, these aren't, aren't obscure things. We've been given righteousness by faith. Do we know that? We've been given a promised land inheritance. Do we know that? A family of faith from every nation, an everlasting covenant with God. That we would be fruitful and multiply. That we would have abundant fruit in our life. That we would be a family of kings. A royal priesthood, right? That we would be possessing the keys of the enemy's gates. These are for us now. If they got the fullness of their promises in the shadow, then what should we be expecting in the fullness? The same thing. And more, because it's the fullness. <laughs> exactly. But I'll, I'm going to explain to you why. I'm going to say we. It's really I. But I'm going to assume that maybe you're all in the same boat. Why we missed it. <laughs> why maybe we missed actually experiencing and walking out in these promises. Uh, Peter writes it out really well. And I've got the passage right there. Peter writes, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. 
Right, that's a mouthful, and I used to love that passage. I love it even more now because I used to be like, we get to be partakers of the divine nature. Like, that means something. I don't quite know what, but it's awesome. Like, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. Just try harder. Try harder. Right? I, I mean, I was all in for how did I knew to be all in, but I wasn't able to just be there because I didn't know how to get there. Well, I'm going to tell you how to get there. And, and I'm going to say what Paul said, not that I've attained all these things just yet, but I am so close. I'm telling you guys, I am in a place that I've never dreamed was possible for my life. And that's awesome to be able to say and to be able to say truthfully. All right? I'm not all the way there, but I think I'm pretty darn close with what I see God doing and, and just what my daily looks and feels like. It's so different. It's awesome. So anyways, this is the progression, all right? He says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. I looked up what that means. Anytime that I put something on here that's like a reference to Greek or Hebrew, you can know that I, I, my resource for that is blueletterbible.org. I love it. I use it for everything. It's such an incredible resource. So there's my, you know, I'm not stealing their material. I'm telling you that I took it from there. So, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. Well, I looked up what that word knowledge means in the Greek. And it actually means precise and correct knowledge. And now I know I've said this multiple times last night. I'm going to say it again today, and I'll probably say it throughout the day. It was not for lack of love. It was not for lack of passion. It was not for lack of obedience or desire or pursuit or any of that that I wasn't experiencing these things. It was for lack of knowledge. I didn't know what I didn't know. And so I was just grabbing on to everything that I'd been taught and none of it seemed to be working. But I didn't stop, right? Precise and accurate knowledge. If you don't know that you've been given promises, if you don't know what those promises are, well, then how the heck are you going to get them? Right? I mean, if, you, if your knowledge of God is that he's a Santa Claus in the sky, right, is that going to affect how you relate to him? Yes. If your knowledge of God is that he is an extreme dictator in the sky, is that going to affect how you relate to him? A hundred percent it will. We have to start first with precise and correct knowledge of who God is, what he's done, who we are. You have to start there, which is why we do this weekend instead of just walking people into freedom. I don't want to just walk you into freedom. I want you to understand what's happening so you can continue to go after it with everything, with everything and get rid of everything that's been hindering you and holding you back and realize it's not you, it's something stealing and it's got to go. I want to equip you in that and I want you to see and be convinced beyond measure that this is the truth of the gospel, the message of righteousness, okay? So it starts with precise and correct knowledge. From there, it says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through what? I'm going to say it again, all right? You guys with me? That Second Peter passage. His divine power has granted to us 
all things <clears throat> that pertain to life and godliness through the what? Everything he's granted to us, everything, all things for life and godliness first comes through the cor correct and precise knowledge of him and what he's done. That is what opens the door for us to start walking in, all right? <clears throat> through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he granted to us his precious and very great promises. We now know what promises he's talking about, right? We've been invited into these promises, the shadow promises given to Abraham, coming to us in the fullness. <clears throat> and through those promises, so that through them, you may become partakers of the divine nature. I never even got to the knowledge part, <laughs> right? But this is where we are. Precise and correct knowledge brings us into the promises. And those promises bring us into the divine nature. All right? So first, we're coming in and we're going, wait a minute. What is it that has actually been done here? Who is God? Who am I? What is this all about? What are these promises? Then we come into the promised land and we begin to go after every promise that is ours and we stop settling for anything that, that is less than all that God has given us. And what God has given us is awesome. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no shadow or turning. He is a good Father and He loves to give His Holy Spirit to his children. He loves it. His desire is that you would be fruitful. He desires that you would be fruitful more than you desire to be fruitful. I used to feel like I had to convince God. Like I'd pray for somebody, you know, who was sick and I'd be like, God, please, would you do this? Like if you do this, I promise I'll tell everybody. Like I'm trying to like convince him to do something as if I wanted it more than him. But I was backdooring things. I was trying to get into the divine nature without the correct knowledge and certainly without the promises. It doesn't go that way. You can't backdoor it. There's a way to it. Precise, correct, accurate knowledge coming into your promises. And that brings you into the divine nature. When you get your promised land, you are then walking in oneness with the Father. That's amazing. I actually looked up what the word... Uh, partaker means anybody ever bother to look that up it means equal sharer equal equal I always thought like me when I read this I always thought participating in the divine nature meant that there would be great moments maybe at like a worship meeting or something where God's power would come and I'd get to like participate in it a little bit that's what I thought it meant no, equal sharer. You have a seat at the table with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit because you've been made in His image. You've been redeemed back to His image, back to the image of the Son. You actually look like Jesus. You actually do. It's not something we strive for. It's been done. Stuff is stealing from you. That is the problem. And we don't come into our promises because of it. Because we believe the lie that it's just us. That something's wrong with us. That is a lie. You were made to participate, be an equal sharer in the divine nature of God. I didn't say it. Peter said it. Do you guys see what I'm seeing? It's the stuff that we've yearned for. The stuff that we're like, I know it's true. I just don't know how to get there. 
right? You guys know that what I'm feeling, right? That feeling? I had it for so long. Wasn't for lack of love. It wasn't for lack of pursuit. It was literally for lack of knowledge, which opened the door. And so this weekend is to open the door for you to begin to understand your promises. We've been given those same promises as Abraham, but I want you to realize something even more now. <clears throat> those promises were not something that God was just like, hmm, what's some good things that I can give these people? These promises actually originated somewhere. They actually came from something. Does anybody know where they came from? That's actually a really good answer. In a sense, it is. In a sense, it is. She said, isn't that a shadow of the heavenlies? In a sense, it was the reality that they walked in in the garden. All of these promises were the reality of the garden. Good job. That was really good. So we go back, we go back and we look. This wasn't God just saying, hey, I've got some good ideas for people. God made us a certain way. He made us in his image. He made us very good. And then the enemy came in. And humanity came into agreement and became slaves, became depraved. We know the story. Jesus came and paid redemption for us. We are redeemed. Do you know what redeemed means? Yeah, bought back. What were we bought back to? That's what you have to know. We're bought back to original value. You have to understand that. So if it didn't happen with Adam and Eve prior to the fall, it shouldn't happen with you. He didn't just pay a price for us to be okay for a little while while we still struggle with the after effects of what Adam did. That is not ever what it says in scripture anywhere. And yet that's what we've lived and believed. He paid so that we could be redeemed brought back to original value so that the promises no longer are promises, they are realities. The promises are not supposed to just be forever hung in front of us. That's not it. They were to be gotten, the promised land, all of it to become our reality again until the restoration of all things where it won't just be the garden of Eden within us, it will be all around us as well. That's what the restoration of all things brings is that it will be the order around us as well as within us. The fullness is that it's all within us. We are redeemed back. Do you guys see that? foundational here because when we go and we start to take note of the things that are going on in our thoughts in our emotions in our bodies we have to have a plumb line to hold it up against 
I used to say, is it God, is it me, or is it the enemy? I don't do that anymore. I say, if it's not like God, it's not like me. We're the same. That's it. That's the line. It's a very easy line to draw. There's no question. There's no confusion. But I will tell you that the enemy does try to do things and use things that seem good, right, in our, our own judgment. And I'll give you an example. Um, so I do bookkeeping and accounting. I own my own bookkeeping accounting company. And um, during these nine months, right, it's, it's coming up into April. I've got 15, 16 companies that I've got to get ready for tax season. And I've got people showing up at my house 24-7 to be getting set free. And I also have four kids. I lead a church. And there's just a lot going on, right? And so everything's going good. I'm just like, running with it all uh, you know when I get a spare minute I'm on the computer doing what I got to do well then one day this this uh this girl cancels she says I can't come I'm like yes I'm going to use that time to get some bookkeeping done well of course somebody shows up at my house to take that slot and they don't just take that slot they just like go on for I mean they're just talking for hours and I'm sitting there like okay Lord all right all right all right, all right. I just help walk them into freedom. I'm just not going to think about what I got to do, right? And do this. Finally, she leaves, and it's late now. It's like 10 o'clock at night, 10.30 at night, and I'm going. I come out, and I feel this wave. It just feels like a wave of weight on me. She leaves. I'm, I start crying. I can't do this. I just can't do this. This is too much, God. I mean, you, how do you expect me to do this? I need a break. I have so much else to get done. I don't even know. <laughs> right? And I'm just like, and, and, and Jim sees me. Our house is under construction. We're sleeping in a living room basement. You know, I mean, it's just like a lot. Okay? And, uh, and things that people would say is entirely acceptable for me to feel this way. I would have in the past as well. But I'm ah, freaking out, like, I can't do this, God, I just can't. And Jim sees me, and he's like, are you okay? Jim's my husband right there. Are you okay? And I'm like, I, God, I just can't. I, God's asking too much. There's too many people. I have to get this stuff done. And he says, why don't you just go to bed? <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> so I go to bed. And I toss and turn all night long. I don't get any sleep. I'm like, my mind is racing. My body feels like I'm a million pounds. I just can't. It's all of a sudden morning. I haven't slept a wink. I'm still feeling the same way. And I know people are showing up in a couple hours. And I'm going, I can't. I can't do another day. I can't do it. I can't do it anymore. God, I can't. I just, it's too much. And Jim's like, I'm going to go get some coffee. <laughs> You know, and I'm just laying in bed, literally feeling like I can't move. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, in the back recesses of my mind, I hear my own voice saying, if it's not like God, it's not like you. And, uh, or, or if it's not good, it's not from God. Right? And I'm like, God, this doesn't feel good. <laughs> this doesn't feel good. What is the lie, God? What is, what is stealing from me? And he said, responsibility. 
like responsibility. I, I, I mean, I, I thought that was a good word. <laughs> like, I always thought responsibility is a good thing, right? I'm like, okay. I said, well, what is the lie that it's telling me, God? He said, the lie is, is that you have to get everything done. That you have a time clock, you've got, you know, you got to get things done. And I'm like, that sounds like the truth. Uh, <laughs> okay, God, what is the truth? And he said, the truth is, is that I've ordained your life. And that I've got steps for you, and you're going to accomplish every one. And I was like, that is true. That is greater truth. That is true. And so even still, I'm still feeling like a billion pounds, even as this dialogue is going on between me and the Lord. And I'm just like, responsibility, you're not me. I pray I'm agreement with you in Jesus' name. I don't believe your lies anymore. <laughs> you know. In the name of Jesus, by his authority, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I command you to get up and get off of me. Go to the feet of Jesus for judgment and do not ever come back to me again. And I'm telling you, as soon as that happened, I felt this surge of energy like chase out the weight all the way up and out of my body. And I'm laying there and I'm like, I'm completely fine. I literally got up, Jim comes down with a coffee, and I'm like, it wasn't me. <laughs> Who knew? Sometimes the enemy will use things that are very deceptive, things that we think are good, but they're still earthly. They're still earthbound. They're not heavenbound. And there's a greater reality, a greater truth. And guess what? Everybody's taxes got done. Everything got done. And I don't feel that weight anymore. It doesn't mean I don't organize my day. It doesn't mean I don't have a plan. But I don't feel this weight. I got to do, I got to, 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 right? That's just not there. And it's awesome. It's freedom. It's freedom to be able to live and I can get a whole lot more done without that on me. It's just the truth. And so to tell you that sometimes the, the things that are there are deceptive, if it's not like God, it's not you. If, if it's not good, it's not like God, and it's not you. Everything that God made, he looked at and he saw that it was good. God is good. You have been redeemed back to very good. All right? If it's not good, it's not God, it's not for you. Our promises originated, they were the realities of the garden. They're promises because he's saying, you can come into this. You can come into this reality. In fact, it's what I want you to come into. And when you actually do, you will walk in the divine nature as participants with me, as an equal sharer. And that's the truth. It's amazing. It blew my mind. So I laid out, I laid out the realities. If you look on there, the garden reality, the shadow promises, and the fullness promises. And they line up. They line up with each other. 
And I want you to know if you've been redeemed, this is what you look like too. There was one verse that really, at the beginning of all of this, really, like, I had never seen this, or maybe I just skipped past it over and over and over again. But it all of a sudden made a whole lot more sense to me. I'm going to finish this session with it. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 6. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against what? The precise and accurate knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And then this was the part I think I always skipped past. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. Like, What does that mean? What it means is, is we're bringing the children of God back into obedience. And when the children of God are back into obedience, the only thing that is not obedient is that spiritual harasser there. And, and Paul says we're ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. We're not looking to punish you. We want to bring you into obedience. And then every act of disobedience, this other thing, we're going to punish it forever having been there in the first place. And so that's what we do. We bring the children of God into the promises, into the truth, into obedience to Christ. And then we punish every lying voice. We send them to the feet of Jesus to say, he's going to judge you. He's the judge. He'll do it better than I can. Go there, you know. But that, I mean, I, I don't know if you guys had ever seen that. I would never seen that before. But after seeing this and walking this out, it was like, oh, wow, I get what Paul's saying in that space right there. Well, that about wraps up our podcast for today. I pray that it was a blessing to you. If you're looking for more information about New River Church, check us out at newriverchurch.org. If you've got questions or comments about the material that you heard today, feel free to email us, info at newriverchurch.org. God bless you.